This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I am your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle. Back once again, going to be joined in a moment by my co-host, Dan Murphy. And uh, Dan's got a lot of news uh, today. Uh, For one, uh, we're going to be talking about the just-released Women's 100 issue. It is uh, our counterpart to the PWI 500, and it looks at uh, the top 100 women in the sport Dan largely puts it together. It's about to drop, if it hasn't dropped already by the time you're listening to this. And we're going to go over the top 10, talk about some other uh, big highlights uh, of the list. Uh, Dan largely puts it together, so he's definitely the guy uh, to talk about it. Um, Also, later on, we're going to have uh, an interview that Dan conducted that you could also read in the pages of the latest PWI, the February 2020 issue, with none other than Chris Jericho, the AEW World Heavyweight Champion. I think it's okay to call them World Champion uh, these days. I got to check with us two sacks about uh, our, our rules on world titles, but uh, I'm pretty sure we recognize it now as a World Heavyweight Championship. Certainly Chris Jericho does and AEW does, and uh, stars don't get much bigger in pro wrestling today than Chris Jericho, and uh, Dan got an opportunity recently to chat with him on the phone. For the latest hot seat uh, interview in the February issue of PWI, and you're going to get to hear the audio from that interview here on this podcast. Uh, And then later on, Dan's also got uh, some news about his future with the magazine, so you're absolutely going to want to stay tuned uh, to listen to that. Uh, But right now, let me tell you a little bit more about the February 2020 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Um, Again, the Women's 100, uh, now twice the length of what used to be the Female 50 for, I guess, last year was the first year we did the women's 100, and um, as Dan, I'm sure we'll talk about it in just a moment, even with 100 spots, I'm not sure if it's enough, uh, given uh, how big women's wrestling has gotten over the last couple of years. Uh, but there's that, and there's so much more in this issue. As I mentioned, the hot seat interview with AEW champion Chris Sharko, where you're, which you're about to listen to uh, in a few moments here. Uh, also, I put together a piece about AEW and uh, the new Wednesday Night Night War AEW versus uh, NXT, or really versus WWE. It's sort of a tale of the tape uh, in the war, looking at both sides, their advantages and disadvantages, um, and uh, asking and answering some of the biggest questions looming over uh, this latest wrestling war. So a lot of fun to put together. You'll want to check that out. I believe the ballots for the 2019 Achievement Awards are uh, in this issue and uh, also all her regular features, my column, Dan's column, everybody else. Um, So you definitely don't want to miss this one. It's another big one. As I've said, this is kind of our busy season in between the PWI 500, the Women's 100, the Achievement Awards. And if you want to be sure you don't miss uh, one issue, the thing to do is to go to pwi-online.com and subscribe either to the print edition or the digital edition. The digital edition will uh, come to you faster. Uh, it is customized for your mobile device or your laptop, wherever you're viewing it. Um, or if, like so many, including myself, you want that magazine in, in your hand. Uh, I had so much fun talking uh, last week to former PWI art director Ken Morgan, and it really kind of reminded uh, me uh, what it is about 
holding a physical copy of the magazine uh, that is is so kind of romantic for for wrestling fans, certainly of of a certain generation. And uh, 40 years in, we're still putting them out. And if you want your copy, again, go to pwi-online.com. If you subscribe, you could save over half the cover price. It's the way to go. Also, while you're uh, on your phone or your computer, uh, please follow us on social media at official PWI, uh, both on Twitter and Instagram. You could also find us on Facebook. You can send us an email here at uh, PWAPodcast at Outlook.com. That's specifically for the podcast. Uh, anything else uh, you've got to say or ask about PWI, uh, you want to send it to PWI at com. Also, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, pick up the official PWI t-shirt, uh, the logo designed by Ken Morgan. We talked about that in uh, the last podcast, uh, the iconic logo. You can have it on your t-shirt. And also, please subscribe and kindly uh, leave us a positive review uh, for this podcast, whether it's on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We are coming up on our fifth anniversary of the PWI podcast, and we very much thank you for the support. A quick note about uh, my conversation with Dan that you're about to hear. We had some uh, audio issues uh, at the outset. Uh, hang in there after a couple of minutes. Um, they are largely cleared up. All right, right now, joined by my co-host, Dan Murphy. How are you, Dan? I'm just taking a little breather here at the Wrestling Writers Retirement Home. You know, <laughs> shuffleboard and uh, just, you know, watch the world go by. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. As I mentioned uh, in my intro to the show, you can have some news uh, about your future with the magazine and with the podcast. We'll talk about uh, that here at the end of our conversation. But let's talk uh, the Women's 100. Uh, again, one of your, your signature contributions to PWI over the years. Um, before that, let, let's kind of talk uh, an overview of women's wrestling. You know, one interesting thing, uh, I helped put together the uh, top 10 stories of the year for the year-end issue. And um, Stu sent Harry Burkett and I a potential list of stories that we had to pare down because we had too many. And one that was on the list was, um, you know, the year in women's wrestling. And I made the point that that's not as big a story this year as, as it was last year. And I think we all kind of agreed. Um, so is, is that your take? I mean, last year with Ronda and uh, the Evolution pay-per-view and the first women's rumble, it really felt like kind of a landmark year. This feels like a little dip from that. I mean, you did have probably the, the biggest news in women's wrestling, you know, women headlining WrestleMania. Uh, but other than that, at least on the WWE side, um, it's, it's felt, I don't want to say flat. That might be an overstatement, but um, not, not the peak that it was last year. Yeah, yeah. And I can guarantee you a lot of the women in, the, in WWE wouldn't want you to use the word flat to describe them. They good money to, to endure. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's what we'll miss. <laughs> I know that. It's there. I had it. Anyway, but uh, no, I, I agree. You're right. Uh, 2019 as a year, as a calendar year, was definitely a little bit of a step down. But if you look at it, um, beginning with maybe WrestleMania of 2018, with WrestleMania of 2019, I think that was the pinnacle. Uh, Ronda Rousey, uh, she wasn't everything. Women's wrestling has been growing for the past. 12, 13 years, really, um, you know, uh, with the rise of Shimmer, and you see how Shimmer influenced the independence and really kind of brought a bunch of different women like Bailey, like Paige, like many others, uh, uh, Ruby Riot, and, and several others, um, from the independence up to WWE. It was always happening, but Ronda Rousey was the thing that, that took it to the next level, that really kind of let the women shine. And 
it, it peaked at WrestleMania this year. That was kind of the high water moment, and everything has kind of gone down a little bit since uh, because it is, you know, it's one thing to, to kind of rise and have that uh, big moment and, and shine on that big stage, but to show that you can be a consistent draw year after year or even month after month in, in this climate, it's a challenge. So I think it's taken a little bit of a step backwards, certainly more so than last year where you had the Evolution pay-per-view and the rise of Ronda Rousey. With WWE trying to do the women's division without Ronda around, it's it's taken a big step backwards. I mean, I think you've got, as much as Bayley has kind of picked up a little bit and Sasha is back, uh, you've got Becky Lynch and you've got Charlotte and then a big drop and then everybody else. And Charlotte, I think, is a little overexposed at this point. Yeah. Becky is just kind of holding on, so they really need a little bit more, and and uh, this is kind of that transition and seeing what happens next with the uh, women's division. Yeah. Another thing that, that's happened that maybe isn't such a bad thing is that the novelty of uh, featuring women at or near the top has kind of worn off, and now it's accepted, right? I mean, the, the notion a few years ago of women even headlining Raw, much less a pay-per-view, much less WrestleMania— was almost unheard of, and and now it's a lot more commonplace. Um, so again, maybe maybe that's a good thing. It's just it it's not that uh, you know crazy or unforeseen to to think about the women as uh, featured acts in WWE anymore. Right, it, it's not the automatic bathroom break match anymore, like it had been for many years. And uh, now though, the women are like you said, it's not a novelty. They have to show that they deserve the spot. Uh, they've got their opportunity. They've they've made it onto the card, and there's enough women where you can have a pay-per-view show with, say, eight or nine matches, and theoretically three, maybe four, could even be women's matches. There, there's that opportunity now on the WWE stage. But now the women have to kind of prove their, their worth once again and show that they really deserve those spots now that they're available. Yeah, and obviously it's not just about WWE. Uh, AEW coming on the scene as a, a new platform to feature uh, women in, in prominent roles on national television, and uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about all that here. Um, why don't we get into uh, the top 10? I haven't seen this list. Uh, I, I could probably make some educated guesses, uh, but why don't we start with who is number one? All right, number one in the 2019 Women's 100 for Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Really, it's the only choice. It's the man. It's Becky Lynch. Yes, uh, I saw that one coming, uh, and I, I think it's noteworthy that uh, Seth Rollins is number one in the 500, Becky's number one in, in the 100. I can't imagine, um, I'm sure it's never happened before, I don't know that it'll ever happen again, that uh, you know you have this kind of power couple where the top woman and the top man in the sport are an item. Yeah, I don't think it has happened, anything like, you know, certainly not at this level, but I mean, you look at Becky... She's had this kind of meteoric rise. She's been one of WWE's, if not their top star, then, then certainly in the mix for the entire year. Um, but, you know, she, we always look at the 500 and say that the person who wins the main event of WrestleMania is always kind of the leading candidate for the top spot in the 500. You know, it's the biggest stage, it's the biggest show, and whoever comes out on top, they've got a leg up on the competition. Uh, this year, it was the women, and it was Becky. And, um, you know, with Ronda Rousey kind of stepping down, not retired, just not competing since WrestleMania, uh, she was uncontested and, and was kind of an easy pick for number one. Yeah. It, it's now been um, six, seven months since they, they put the, uh, well, they put two titles on her. Uh, she, she quickly dropped one. But since she was really kind of coronated the top act, uh, certainly among the women and, and maybe in, in all of WWE, 
How do you think it's gone? I mean, do you think WWE is satisfied with uh, the results so far? It, has it uh, been a little uh, disappointing, uh, you know, how, how fans have taken to her and what she's meant for business? I think WWE would be very satisfied. Um, I, I think that maybe fans might be disappointed, though. Uh, because when, when she got hot, when Becky really got hot last fall, you know, after her nose was broken and, and she was out and, and, and she turned on Charlotte and had that, that groundswell of support, that's when people started making the comparison of, of her to Stone Cold Steve Austin. She kind of caught lightning in the bottle, and, and she was the hot person for that moment. And, and the fans rallied behind that. But, again, like I said, it, it's hard to, to sustain that kind of success uh, that kind of, you know, whenever, especially in this landscape in wrestling and WWE in particular, once you make it to the top, you, you have a very short window before all of a sudden kind of the backlash begins. And you can see it in Seth Rollins, and you can see it in, in pretty much everybody, from Roman Reigns, obviously, but you can see it from the, John Cena before that. But, but really over the past 10 years, anyone who makes it to that level, uh, the backlash kind of begins. And I think that she's kind of, stepped down a little bit from her peak last fall when, when she was really on fire, but she's still, you know, a, a very skilled wrestler. She's still very popular. She's extremely popular with, with young female fans, which is an audience that WWE really wants to kind of reach out to. So I think WWE is very uh, pleased with her performance, uh, even though the fans who really kind of rallied by her might have cooled off a little bit uh, over the past yeah, yeah. Well, the rest of, of the list is more of a mystery to me. Uh, again, I could have guessed that Becky would be at the top of the list. Uh, who is number two this year? Uh, I'll put it on you. Uh, who would you think, with Becky number one, who would be the natural number two? Well, see, that, that makes me think that it is um, a WWE star, and if that is the case, I guess I'd go with Charlotte. Good guess. Yes, Charlotte is number two. Yeah. Yeah, a, a, a good pick, but as you said, uh, and I think this was happening certainly a year ago, if not more, a little bit of a backlash, a little bit of that, that Roman Reigns, John Cena thing, uh, and I think it's gotten even more pronounced uh, over the last several months. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Charlotte's been on top quite a long time um, and, and has had what, seven or eight women's uh, title reigns over the past three years. I mean, it's, it's pretty... Uh, she, she's just perennially at the top which is good um that being said she doesn't have a lot of matches well her, her series with with uh sasha banks a couple of years ago um but other than that <clears throat> she, she doesn't have a lot of really standout great matches um so i think the fans are a little bit sick of her on top because you know it's She's been there for a little while. She's grown a little bit stale, and the, there's always, you know, any second-generation wrestler gets those nepotism accusations. Oh, she only got this spot because she's this player's daughter and anything along those lines. Um, but she's proven that she can deliver. She's been uh, consistent. She's put on good matches with a variety of competition. And, again, she was in the main event of WrestleMania, which, which says a lot, and went on to beat Becky for the SmackDown title belt uh, shortly afterwards. She then lost it right away to Bayley. But she had a win over the number one. She was consistent throughout the year and co-main uh, event at WrestleMania. Yeah. I, I very much think with Charlotte that that um, some of the backlash she'd received is uh, less her doing and more uh, the way she's been booked and or, or scripted. I mean, uh, with, with all the turns back and forth, it almost get, gets to be like uh, the big show. It's just so uh, arbitrary week to week. Uh, 
whether she's a babyface or a heel, whether she is arch rivals with uh, Natty or pals with her, uh, it, it, it seems to swing back and forth so much that I, I think that might contribute to some of the backlash she's felt. And if she's not, you know, if she's a, a great wrestler or a very good wrestler, I wouldn't necessarily say great, but a very good wrestler. The thing is, she, she's not um, a people's champion. I mean, she's wrestling royalty. She's the queen. She mm-hmm. comes out with a huge Ric Flair robe. She grew up in the lap of luxury and everything else. She, she's not a really good natural kind of baby face. So it makes sense that, you know, the fans haven't warmed up to her the way they have somebody like that. Okay. Uh, let's let's keep going. Uh, who is number three? All right, number three. Only one loss in her entire year on the main roster, and that was, again, in the main event of WrestleMania. Uh, number three, Ronda Rousey. Uh, again, Ronda, she is not retired. Uh, so since she had not officially retired, she's still qualified for inclusion. She's certainly not the match uh, the uh, qualifications and the standards in terms of the number of matches, the volume of opposition. She'd beaten everyone she'd faced. She was undefeated until that WrestleMania match. And, uh, you know, it, it would be a crime not to include her in the top three. Yeah. I think uh, in these last, whatever it is, six, seven months, fans have already kind of forgotten the impact um, that she made, which is a shame because uh, she really, I mean, I think more so than, than Becky and Charlotte. And when you consider their experience, it's it's crazy. But she was pretty much a sure thing. When you put her out there, she would deliver um, against any kind of opponent. It, it was uh, one of the more incredible things I've seen in, in my years as a fan. Uh, this, this transplant who uh, came into this business not knowing much about uh, pro wrestling. A fan growing up, but she just shouldn't have taken to wrestling as well as she did. Uh, and uh, was terrific. I, I think another thing that maybe is going to um, have fans question uh, her being this high is that the last time we saw her, it was a little underwhelming, that, that whole main event at WrestleMania. Uh, and, and I was there, and, and I was certainly up for it, but it, it, it felt a little flat, and it, it's crazy because of all of Ronda's performances, uh, it, it might be among the, the most disappointing. Would, would you agree? Yeah, but I, I put a couple of asterisks on that. Uh, number one, I, I can't remember exactly how long WrestleMania went this year. I think it was around 18 oh, hours. Yeah. Oh, God. It was, right. Yeah, it was uh, close to eight, sure. It was crazy long. The, the crowd wasn't as hot as they were, even though it was the main event. Uh, it was a three-way match, and three-way matches are very, very difficult to, to put together. And the women, you know, Ronda certainly didn't have a lot of experience with three-way matches. Uh, a lot of women don't. I mean, independents, you know, normally have. I mean, it's changed a little bit today, but, you know, if you have two women on the card, they face each other in a singles match. Uh, now they do intergenders and everything else. But a lot of the women at that level don't have the uh, experience in three-way dances that the guys do. Uh, so you have that. You have a three-way dance of those, those people who don't have a lot of experience in it. After an eight-hour wrestling show, and Ronda breaks her hand early in the match. I yeah. Mean, there's a lot on it. Uh, I wouldn't pin it on her. I still think it was a, a good match, but it, it certainly wasn't the best Ronda Rousey match. And and the, the I don't even want to say the finish was botched. I think it's less the finish was botched, uh, and more that the announcers pointing it out was botched. You know, to me, it was uh, the whole issue of her shoulder being up or not didn't need to be that big a deal. Uh, Corey Graves drew attention to it. Uh, I I imagine he was produced to do that. And it just kind of left this cloud over what what should have been a clean finish, the coronation of Becky, uh, Ronda's swan song. It just kind of muddied everything up unnecessarily, I thought. 
But the thing is, we don't know what the original booking plan was. If there was the idea of a one-on-one match between Becky and Ronda as a rematch, then yes, make it a, a little bit convoluted so there's controversy leading into it. Uh, but the broken hand immediately threw that right out the window. So you never know what they might have had planned and, and what was going. It's entirely possible if uh, Graves was uh, produced to say that, then it's possible that whoever was putting it in his ear didn't get the word and, and who would blame him that, that Ronda had injured herself in the match because Ronda you know, didn't seem to be injured uh, at that point. So you never quite know, but yeah, it did definitely have a kind of very flat ending for a pay-per-view, let alone a WrestleMania main event. Yeah, yeah. But again, they might have been thinking, coming back to it, um, and as you said, she she has yet to say that she's officially retired. I'm sure Fox would very much want her on, on SmackDown, um, so I've, I've got to think, whether it's WrestleMania or sooner than that or later than that, um, at some point she will uh, pop back up. If you saw her hand uh, filming that show, uh, I'm thinking it's not anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, she, she damn near lost a finger uh, filming that show on Fox, so... Uh, I'm thinking at the very least that's going to take a little while to uh, heal up. Um, so that's three. Who is number four? Number four, we leave WWE and we go down to NXT. It is the two-time NXT Women's Champion, Shayna Baszler. Now, again, you mentioned how you were still surprised that Ronda Rousey, an outsider from the UFC MMA world, could have such a successful transition. Four years ago, I had the same feeling watching Shayna Baszler. Uh, I got to see Shanna in her second match ever in Schmer in Chicago and watched her through the years and got to know her pretty well. And I couldn't believe how natural of a wrestler she was. Uh, just an incredible submission artist. She got it. She had the timing. And now she's just really one of the finest in the world. And uh, this spectacular run in NXT, holding the belt for almost the entire year, except for a little pickup where uh, Carrie Sane held that, that championship. But she's really been the cornerstone of the women's division at NXT through the past year. Yeah, she's terrific. You're right. Another one who has taken to it um, so naturally. I think, uh, like Becky on the main roster, at times she's been challenged by a a lack of depth uh, in in that division, uh, especially after Kyrie Sane left and and some other women. Um, she's had to work with some women with, with less experience, and in some cases has gotten pretty good matches out of them, but other, other cases, uh, not so much. W- what do you see as her future? On on one hand, she's certainly been down there long enough that she is, uh, you'd think, a candidate to be called up to one of the main rosters, but now with NXT uh, on Wednesday night on USA, uh, sort of a, a main roster of its own, uh, certainly they, they'd like to keep her. So what, what do you see happening with her in the coming months? I think that really is tied intrinsically to what happens with Ronda Rousey. Uh, because Shayna is an incredible wrestler. Um, I just don't know whether she has the look that WWE typically promotes. Uh, she certainly does in NXT where her skills kind of stand out. And she's, she's not an unattractive woman. I'm not saying that, but she's not that character, that look that WWE really typically tends to, to push. I think that they may have her slotted as she's the NXT Women's Champion. We will build the, the, the division around her, let other people kind of work her and bring them up uh, rather than having any specific plans for Shayna. I hope I'm wrong on that, but that's kind of my gut feeling. Now, if Londa does come back, and I expect her to, um, provided she's healthy and everything works out, it, it makes sense to do the four horse, horse women versus four horse women. 
And if they do that, they're going to do that on the main stage, and Shane is going to have a big role in that. Uh, but if they can't get all eight of those components together and aligned and have it make sense, then I don't think that Shane is going to have much of an opportunity on the main roster. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, we've seen certainly with the, the, the men and even with some of the women time and time again, uh, they're red hot in NXT, come over to the main roster, and um, whether it's Vince McMahon or the creative te- team there, they just don't really know what to do with them, how to handle them, and you end up with uh, Asuka, uh, you know, something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to see her in an atmosphere where, where she's going to thrive. Uh, you saw NXT last night. There's certainly a ton of fan interest in, in this War Games match that she's going to be a part of the first ever women's War Games match. So I'm sure she's having fun over there. So maybe just leave things alone for now. Uh, who's number five? Number five, again, outside of WWE, it is Tessa Blanchard, the third generation superstar. And uh, with everything she's done on the independence and impact in AAA, she's certainly the biggest name non-WWE uh, woman wrestler in, in the world right now. Uh, there's a lot of buzz around her, and she's had a fantastic year. Uh, the AA Reina de Reina's champion, the uh, women's champion, the knockouts champion, and uh, Impact having a feud with Gal Kim, and again, the match with uh, Sammy Callahan as Slammiversary. Uh, plus, I was there in Chicago again when she, she did a Rise match, a Iron Man match against Mercedes Martinez. They went 75 minutes uh, in what, they, what everyone has said, and I haven't seen any... Um, results that would contradict it uh the longest longest women's match of all time and uh you have mercedes who's considered one of the best women wrestlers ever and uh tessa was matching her hold for hold move for move uh which really kind of impressed me because i had a lot of um a lot of doubts about tessa um but i think that this year was her breakthrough year and things are only going to get better in, in the near future i think yeah i, I totally agree I, I talked some about tessa with uh, brady last week uh, on the podcast, and uh, she is the reason to watch Impact. I'd, I'd almost say she's, it might be exaggerating things to say she's the only reason to watch Impact, but she's by far the primary reason uh, to watch Impact. And it, it looks like that um, there's a very good chance that they're going to put the world title on her. Um, not not the Knockouts title, I guess they've even teased the, the X Division title, but uh, Impact certainly looks like they're positioning her to be the first to ever uh, women's world champion in, in uh, a male division on a major national uh, promotion. And it's risky. Uh, I think it's the move to make for her. I mean, I think it's the one thing that Impact has that uh, is really kind of their calling card. They're, they're ace in the hole, throw in the, uh, or the ace up their sleeve, you know, throw in whatever cliche you like. Uh, but but she's just really special. I, I watched um, that uh, the first episode of, of Impact on uh, Axis, where uh, Sammy Callahan won the belt from a uh, Brian Cage in a cage match. And at the end, it's Tessa that comes out, and they do the stare down. And, you know, clearly their positioning is as this is the, the match to watch. This is the feud um, that, that um, they're going to build around. And the payoff, you've got to think, is her winning the world title. What would you think about that? I've even wondered what that means for her in the women's 100. I mean, a, a year from now do we have to consider her in the PWI 500 if she's primarily competing against men rather than women? Well, yeah, we, we would. Um, I mean, we have done that in the past. There's been four or five women who have, uh, because of their, uh, you know, intergender matches have made it. Most uh, the last one who did 
was uh, I'm trying to remember um, Tara Del Rey uh, made it uh, a few years back before she started training with a performance center for WWE. Um, yeah, it's something you guys will have to definitely consider. I know that once we came up with the women's 100, well, originally the female 50, now women's 100, and we really made an effort, despite intergender matches, to keep the men in one's list and the women in the other's list. Um, but this is unprecedented. I mean, the closest you could think is with a sexy star having the, the title run, although it wasn't the top title. In, uh, or actually, no, I think she did have the top title in uh, Lucha Underground briefly. Right. Um, it's a much smaller promotion. Not not that Impact is exactly. setting the world on fire, but but still, I think they've got more notoriety. Exactly, yeah. So it, it's, it would be interesting to see where it goes. If they do that, I mean, it is, you know, I, I mean, certainly that's, that's what they're setting up, but it, it could just be a good way to give her a moral victory and, and push, um, you know, the champion, push Sammy Callahan to the, the limit and, and still not win the belt and, and kind of get the babyface uh, sympathy from that. Yeah. What what I think is so interesting uh, about her is, uh, you know, it, as you touched on, it's not the first time that uh, a promotion has put out um, a woman to wrestle men and even win uh, matches. You can remember China winning the Intercontinental title and having a little bit of a run with it uh, about 20 years ago. Um, but men seem very willing to work with her and um, sell her stuff and put her stuff over. And She's not China, right? You know, she she's not this behemoth, uh, six foot five, two hundred and twenty five pound monster like China was. Where I think her dimensions, her size, made it an easier uh, pitch to have her work with men. Um, you know, she she would fit right in what in in what used to be the divas division. Uh, but there she is mixing up with the guys, and it. Uh, you know, we talked earlier about novelty wearing off. Even that's kind of worn off, and and I didn't know that we'd ever get to this point where there was more of this acceptance of men wrestling uh, women in a roundabout way. Um, I I think it uh, it's seen by many as progressive, right? I mean, at 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 one point, I think the idea was that uh, it was a really bad taste to have a man hit a woman. But the other way of looking that is, looking at it uh, now, and I think Tessa has really kind of pioneered this, is why shouldn't a woman be taken seriously among men? They could do anything that, that women can do. So it, it depends. I mean, there's two schools of thought on it, and this is a podcast in, in and of itself. But you know, the one school of thought is pro wrestling is they're, they're bigger than life. They're superheroes. And it's, it's orchestrated. It's a dance. And, and if they're superheroes, then we've seen Captain Marvel, you know, Stand sure. up to, to Thanos, like, why not have the women against the men? The other school of thought is that wrestling is supposed to be as closely as possible um, mimicking any real athletic sporting event. And throughout human history, in any combat sport, there's never been a 125-pound woman who has beaten a 275-pound man. Like, it, it just doesn't happen. So, you know, it, it, it depends on where you come down in, in that, that, uh, that, those schools of thought. Um, but that being said, you know, she's she's unique. She's getting a big push, and, and she's doing very well with the role she's getting. Yeah, I mean, I think you can get away with it with a guy like Sammy Callahan, who himself isn't um, the biggest guy in the world, and you could put that match out. Uh, but you do wonder, you know, if, if, if she won the title, if she started um, defending it or working with, with guys much bigger, guys like Brian Cage. You know, I, I don't know how that would sit with some fans, uh, but but you know what? It it really is the one thing that Impact has got right now that makes them stand out. So 
Uh, she is is by far, I think, their biggest asset right now. Um, who is, uh, what was she, five, right? So what are we up to, six? Number six is Bailey. So you have Bailey winning the uh, women's tag team titles at WrestleMania, having the, the uh, tag team with Sasha Banks. After Sasha left, after they dropped the belts, uh, Bailey continued on, got back to her championship form, and had a really strong uh, singles showing towards the tail end of the evaluation period. So uh, Bailey takes the number six spot. Yeah, we talked earlier about you know uh, uh, NXT stars kind of having their their pushes botched when they come over to the main roster. I don't think that's the case for anybody more than than Bailey. Thankfully, uh, over the last six months or so, uh, looks like she's she's kind of gotten back on track. Um, when when they put the title on her, uh, I guess it was in the summer. Uh, fans were, were certainly excited about it. She wasn't there yet, though. You know, um, I, I think she's kind of a sympathetic favorite. So on one hand, fans wanted to see it. But on, on the other hand, I don't know if the fans took her seriously as a, a top act. The the heel turn has um, given her a little more momentum. But it, it still doesn't feel kind of fully formed, um, the, the whole package. You know, we saw her destroy the uh, the, the blow-up uh, figures by her entrance and all that. Um, but But I don't know. I mean, it's just... It, in some ways, it feels a, a little too late, right? The the heel turn, and, and I think the bigger issue is, again, it just hasn't been fully formed. It, it feels, she doesn't, it, it doesn't look like we have the buy-in yet from Bailey. Yeah, but I think that this is the, the beginning. I mean, she was such a popular fan favorite, especially with kids, and, 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 and the kind of like good girl living her dream. And, and that ran its course, and yeah, they probably should have pulled the trigger on the heel turn a, a little bit earlier. But now that they did, it gives her an, an entirely different um, element to her persona. And it's still, you know, there's still fairly, she's only a couple months into the heel turn, really. So I'm really intrigued to see where they're going. I think there's a lot more that she can do. And I think that she seems to be having a lot of fun being the, the villain after several years of being the babyface. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, who is number seven? Number seven, it's Natalia. Uh, Natalia, not. He didn't hold any titles during the year, but was consistently around the top in WWE. Was just always there. Uh, she was challenging Ronda Rousey for the, the women's title in the fall. Uh, she was contending for the tag team title, reuniting with Beth Phoenix. And she was really kind of that, that spoiler. Uh, if you were going to be anyone to get a shot at Ronda Rousey, you had to go through Natalia for, for quite a period during that uh, evaluation period. Um, so just in terms of versatility, adaptability, level of competition, and uh, consistency, she earned the number seven spot. Yeah, this definitely feels like the year where she transitioned into uh, more of that respected veteran role, kind of the the gatekeeper to the main event scene, um, and has thrived in that position. You know, I think she's looked at as one of the better, if not the the best technical worker in the division. Another one who maybe hasn't been written uh, for the best um, uh, over the years, but, um, you know, as, as we record this within the next, I don't know, half hour or so, um, another big milestone for, for her and for the women's division, she's going to compete in the first ever women's match in Saudi Arabia as part of, uh, crown jewel. You, you have any thoughts on that? It'll be interesting to see how it's received and, and, and how it goes. Um, it, uh, you know, certainly I think that if they're going to have somebody work it, Natalia deserves the, the honor of doing it. I don't know about Lacey Evans. I don't know how good the match is necessarily going to be. Uh, but Natty has been a, a real workhorse for the company for a long, long time. 
And uh, I know that this would be something that she would love to do, so I'm glad that she's got the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Uh, who is number eight? Number eight from Japan, it's Io Shirai. She is, uh, again, made it to the finals of the Mae Young Classic last year, losing to Tony Storm, uh, but then stuck around in NXT and really had a, a great feud uh, with Shayna Baszler, uh, had the heel turn and, and kind of showed a, a new aggressive side of herself, had the match against Candice LeRae, and has really established herself as, you know, what she was in Japan. It's, it's beginning. It took a little while for it to really kind of uh, translate over to the NXT version, but she's finally hitting her stride, and, and now NXT fans are beginning to see why she was the top star in stardom for the past five or six years. Yeah, she's hugely over in, in NXT. I mean, uh, I know so if you saw last night's episode of the reception she got when she uh, came out, it's it's troubling a little bit because she's supposed to be playing a heel and the fans are just going crazy for her. Uh, but I think it speaks to uh, her really being um, something special. It, it's, uh, uh, you know, no secret that they've kind of dipped their foot in the waters for years now trying to um, um, incorporate Japanese women wrestlers in um, into NXT and, and into WWE's main roster with some limited success, and they've had um, a, a few challenges, and, and some of this is not politically correct. One is the language barrier, and two is sex appeal. And, and you know, for better or for worse, that remains a part of women's wrestling, a big one uh, in, in WWE for certain. And in Io Shirai, uh, I think they've kind of conquered both those things because she... Uh, she has some grasp of the the English language enough to be able to cut a promo, and she's very attractive, uh, and she just kind of gets it. I mean, she, I, I feel like she's got more ownership of of her character um, than most of the women you see out there. You know, I talked about Bailey not not feeling fully formed. She she feels more uh, of that, and I don't think she's all the way there. Uh, but when you see her. You, you get the character uh, right away, and it feels like she gets it. Yeah, she has a great mind for the business. She really does. Uh, she could have just been – Stardom has a way of featuring pretty girls and, and kind of over-the-top characters. Uh, she wanted to go the extra step and be one who could really deliver in the ring, and she did. And she kind of helped uh, Kairi Sane, who was there at the time, Mayu Alitani. They were the three that were always around together helped them kind of raise the standard of what stardom was and what it was all about. And it was really coming all from you. Um, she's a, a true student of wrestling and, and really wants to, to kind of do her best to keep adapting and changing. Um, so it's great that she's getting that opportunity. She's not being kind of just slotted as, you know, the, the kind of uh, token outsider with a different look that we can put on TV. They're giving her an opportunity to develop her, her persona and, and she's really seizing it with both hands. Yeah, I mean, you contrast it against uh, Asuka uh, and Kairi Sane on, on the main roster. You know, two Japanese women, let's call them the Kabuki Warriors and have them spit green mist. Uh, it's, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of the whole Jordan Miles conversation. That's one to, to have another day, but but it's, it's not deep at all. Uh, and, you know, it's sort of that cliche, we, we have Japanese worker what do we do with them? You know, oh, let's have them spit green mist. And it does feel like with Io Shirai, they've kind of transcended that. Uh, and I think that's got a lot to do with just with what she brings to the table. Uh, so so good for her. I, I hope she, she stays on this path. Okay, so where are we? Number nine. Number nine, Mercedes Martinez. 
Uh, I mentioned Mercedes earlier wrestling that, that 75 minute match against Tessa. She won that match. You know, let, let the record show she, she defeated uh, Tessa Blanchard in that. And her biggest success wasn't in WWE or Impact or anything like that. It was on the independence, uh, winning the Phoenix Rise Championship from Tessa Blanchard, winning the Shimmer, Shimmer Tag Team title with Cheerleader Melissa. She also won the Bellatrix title. She held the Femme Fatales title up in Canada. So she's been on the independence, but she's still the gold standard on the independence. And she's traveling. She, after a brief retirement a few years back, she's back to, you know, as better as she's ever been and uh, just continues to dominate the competition on the Indies. She's been around for quite a while now, right? I mean, this is a name that I think... 19 years. Yeah, 19 years now. Which, you know, a lot of women just don't have that kind of staying power. A lot... And she did have a... She retired to start a family. Um, So, you know, there are a lot of women who will, you know... I've done this for a little while. Now I want to have kids. I want to start a family. I want to, you know, which Ronda Rousey was talking about earlier this year. Um, so somebody like a Mercedes who's been able to just stay in remarkable condition and keep going for two decades is, is uh, really something special. We've seen WWE over the last several years give opportunities to male wrestlers who are um, deep into their 30s or, or even 40s. I mean, I think of... AJ Styles and and Bobby Roode as uh, people who they brought in again close to that that forty range, um, could could you see something like that uh, with her uh, again again for better or for worse it just seems like it, it's different for women, uh, but as you touched on she's she's certainly kept herself in good shape. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think that I think they could, and I, I think that you know the fact that WWE is not is is kind of a it, it's definitely a shame. There's probably a good half dozen women, at least on this list, um, who are veterans who have been around for a long time. Lucista is another one that comes immediately to mind, who who real who has announced that she's retiring at the end of this year. Um, they WWE really missed the boat because these were women who could have contributed a lot, um, and and they never got their opportunity. And and they've been kicking around for a long time, you know, fifteen years or more for for some of them, uh, but. The, the one that I would stop WWE, the fact that they didn't do anything here is, is really mind-boggling. But uh, Soraya, Soraya Knight, um, Paige's mom, who can still go. She's still an incredible – she's an incredible brawler. She's the kind of wrestler like uh, a, a Terry Funk or an Abdullah the Butcher or a Sheik. But when she goes out there and she gets the wild eye look in her face, you legitimately are concerned because she, she's <laughs> so good at connecting with the fans and balling. It can be intimidating, and I've seen her literally back down men, uh, both in the ring and backstage, because she gets in her, her she dials it into a certain place, and, and she, she becomes this bigger-than-life character. And doing a program between mother and daughter, it, it's never been done, and WWE had the opportunity, and somehow they let it, you know, they, they squandered it. And now with Paige's neck being in the condition of saying it, it's probably likely never going to happen, but... Uh, WWE has a blind spot with with working with women who aren't 30 or under, you know, and, and that's really a shame because uh, certainly you look at guys like Terry Funk or some of the other guys I mentioned, Piper, even Hogan and Flair, and it's like that contributed a lot to the game after their 40s, and I think a lot of women can too. Yeah, yeah. And finally, who comes in uh, number 10 in the 2019 Women's 100? Rounding up the top 10 this year, it is the longest reigning Shimmer champion. It's Nicole Savoy. Uh, just a couple days ago, Nicole Savoy actually beat out Mischief as the longest reigning Shimmer champion. 
so she's had that belt now since November of 2017. So uh, I know they're doing another taping a couple of weeks from now. So she's at the two-year mark uh, as Schumer champion. Um, and and t- uh, Schumer only runs two shows a year, so that may or may not be a huge uh, event. I think she's got 12 title re- or more than that. I forget exactly how many title defenses. Uh, but she's also been active in stardom and uh, throughout the independents. Um, and she used to run in a, uh, a faction with uh, Shanna Baszler and Mercedes Mar- Martinez. Uh, so she's been around for for a while, and Shimmer really stand out, and she's just been the the, the kind of flag bearer uh, for that company for the past couple of years. You mentioned Shimmer a couple of times, and and Stardom um, certainly uh, promotions that I, I think fans have heard of over the years, as far as uh, really kind of pushing women's wrestling. Where are they today? I mean, I, my sense is that Shimmer isn't what they used to be a few years ago, uh, and maybe the same case for, for Stardom, especially with WWE uh, taking a lot of their uh, uh, top talent. Um, and was, wasn't there even some, some talk of maybe WWE uh, looking to get involved with Stardom? Yeah, well, Stardom was just bought by uh, New Japan, Ushiro, just bought Stardom, I believe, last week. Now, what that means is still up in the air. Uh, New Japan doesn't have women's matches on its shows. I don't think that they're going to cross those brands, uh, but they did buy the company. Um, and WWE has been looking in Japan, trying to set the stages for their uh, their NXT Japan. Uh, they, they apparently uh, were trying to get in with Pro Wrestling Noah, and they are looking at some of the women's promotions as well. Um, and I agree, yeah. Uh, stardom, I think, is taking a bit of a step down because so many of uh, the women who were really the, the stalwarts, uh, your Allison Dangers, your Lexi Fife's, Lufisto now, uh, they're, they're retired or retiring. Um, you've got your, uh, the, the other crop kind of left and went up to WWE or went on to, to other spots. Um, and the other thing that, in my opinion, really kind of killed it is uh, they partnered with Rise. Uh, Rise is this other promotion that was designed to be kind of the up-and-comers joining in with Shimmer. And they brought in a bunch of younger girls who wanted to kind of get on the Shimmer roster. Then Rise and Shimmer started kind of co-promoting. They, they kind of diluted their, their, their talent base, in, in my opinion. And now uh, Shimmer has just announced that they're after this set of tapings, they're no longer going to do what they normally did, which was two taping, well, one taping on a Friday night, two taping Saturday, two taping Sunday. So on a Saturday, you would get 10 or 11 hours of, of wrestling. Um, and they've, they've decided that they're going to move away from that, which I think is a sign that even they realize that the talent level uh, isn't quite what they used to have in the past, and they need to kind of pare things down. Well, there you have it, the top 10 of the uh, the women's uh, 100. You can check out the entire issue on uh, pwi-online.com, and before long, it'll be on newsstands or uh, delivered to your home if you're a subscriber. Um, in a moment, we're going to go to your interview with uh, Chris Jericho, uh, Dan, which is also featured in the uh, latest issue. Uh, but before that, I wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, address your future with the magazine. We've kind of danced around it a little bit. You made an announcement earlier uh, this year, and uh, time flies. So uh, why don't you kind of clue us in on what's going on? Yeah, I, uh, I decided, uh, as I mentioned, that I've, I, I don't know if you use the term retired, but uh, this is my last uh, issue with Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, since been with the magazine since 1997. Um, I just kind of wanted to finish up the 500 and the women's 100. Uh, the women's 100 especially I'm, I'm very kind of close to. Uh, been kind of um, 
coordinating that since its inception 12 years or so ago. Um, but yeah, uh, I just kind of, to, to me, I, I, I don't, I feel a little bit removed from wrestling. I, it doesn't kind of, uh, excite me the way it used to. And, and I thought rather than kind of, uh, faking it, uh, it's best to step aside and, and really kind of open things up for people who are a little bit more passionate about the current product. Uh, so I'm, I'm checking out, uh, other opportunities, doing some writing, doing some other things and, uh, just stepping away from wrestling for now. Do you expect you're not going to watch wrestling much at all uh, going forward? I mean, if if you did, if you, you know, if I didn't not, have to, I, I still would. But I don't know. Uh, for for you, as you said, it's 22 years. So are you ready to take a break, not just from writing wrestling, but watching wrestling? It's been a few months since I've watched any wrestling, um, and I don't I don't miss it. Um, I do read about it daily. I'm online. I'm I'm following everything that's happening. Uh, but I'm not carving out hours of my time to sit in front of the TV and, and watch wrestling. It, it just, I, I had this kind of feeling watching WrestleMania this year. Um, I just didn't, it didn't, I didn't like it. I, I thought it, it felt like, oh my God, this is such a pain to watch. I, I don't care about any of the matches. I don't care about any of the storylines. It's all building up. It, and and I, I was the, the old man, like, you know, shouting, get off my lawn. Like, I, I just didn't like what was, was happening. And I finally realized, I think, at that point that I just, you know, my, my fandom has, has diminished, or, or at least what, what the product has become, I'm, I'm not with. You know, maybe like the Principal Skinner line, you know, it's, it's the children who are wrong. Um, but in any case, uh, I just decided, you know, it's, it's just not for me anymore. Um, so I'm kind of moving on into other things, and we'll see how it develops. Yeah, I hear you. I, I talked to him about this with uh, Brady last week, and... and um, WWE in in particular uh, really has become a chore to watch. There's not a whole lot to uh, really sink your teeth into or or enjoy. It's one thing that I realized uh, watching uh, AEW, and and I'm not as much on the bandwagon as as some others. But uh, not to launch into a whole other conversation here. But Cody, I think Cody is so great, and I realized watching Cody, Cody might be my favorite wrestler in a long time. And it doesn't um, say that much about wrestling because it's not even that he's doing anything that is so off the charts great, but he's just a guy who you want to root for, who uh, goes out there and tells great stories, com- compelling stories, is involved in, in terrific emotional matches and and feuds with high stakes that you get into. And gosh, I don't know when's the last time I've seen something like that. You know, just, just a decent, good uh, babyface and... Um, yeah, I, I don't know that you can find a single person, male or female, who fits that bill in uh, WWE. WWE has this thing where it's all about the brand rather than the, the competitor. Yeah. You know, you don't want anyone to really get over. You want the, the 50-50 booking. You want, you know, you, you'll push somebody and then de-push them. You don't really build anyone for a long period of time, whereas AEW is all about making – Cody, their their guy to, to, to kind of carry the company for you know in the, the near future. So yeah, it's it's definitely a different perspective and, and something that again has kind of contributed to my lack of interest. Well, has AEW's uh, uh, emergence done anything to change that for you? It's it's underlined the fact that I'm not interested <laughs> because I I I, I mean I, I do listen to the Jim Cornette podcast pretty often and. Um, I remember being backstage at a OVW show in Louisville one time and uh, listening to Jim Cornette 
tell the guys, this is what you do. This is how this happened. This is psychology. This is how things work. And, and then watching one of those old kind of Southern OVW shows and everything made sense. Everything worked. And then watching AEW and it's, what, what are they doing? It just the psychology's off. The timing's off. Everything's off. It, it's the false finishes for no reason. And just everything. And, and it's just like, you know, it's just not for me. Now, I, I did watch um, just online uh, Kenny Omega's entrance the other night from Explosion, and he he came out. There was a, a did you see this at all? You talk about uh, his entrance at Dynamite that that uh, that video game video, whatever it was. Yeah, the video game before it, and then he comes out wearing a mask, and the crowd's going nuts. Yeah. And I, I'm I, number one. I don't I don't get it. I don't get the. I had no idea what it was. My my ten year old told me what it was. Right, so I don't understand that. I don't understand the mask. I don't, and it, it's just like, man, I just don't understand this product. It's not yeah. for me. It's not geared for me. And rather than me try to learn it so I can like it, I'm just gonna move on to something that's geared towards me. So, so. I, I think it's a good point, and and um, I'm a big fan of Cody. I'm not as much a fan as everything else uh, of everything else going on in, in AEW, and I think it's for some of the same reasons that you're expressing. You know, um, that match a couple of weeks ago with. Um, Private Party and uh, the Lucha Bros was it kind of reminded me of that uh, Osprey Ricochet match from years ago as this match that was so polarizing. You had um, you know about half the people thought it was the greatest thing ever, and the other half thought it was just garbage. And I'm I'm probably I wouldn't call it garbage, but I I wasn't a fan. You know, to me it it's just way 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 too much. Stops looking like a fight. Um, just just way too choreographed. Uh, but that said, you know, they say in wrestling, if it works, it works, right? And and um, if there is a new generation of fan that is buying tickets, that is paying money, that's basically the foundation for AEW that likes that, then who are we to say otherwise, right? I mean, it, 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 at some point it does feel like, all right, I guess, you know, it's just not for me. Th- that said, uh, and I talked some about this in, on the last episode too, at the same time as, as uh, AEW is taking off and... WWE is getting so frustrating. You've got NWA, which um, I think might be more your flavor. What have you thought about? I don't know if you've checked it out, the the, the YouTube show Power, and what you thought about it. I have liked it. Um, I, that is something I and that is something I may continue to watch. I've checked it out. I've watched a little bit of it, and and that is something that I'm keeping an eye on. So it is a little bit close. It, it does feel a little bit dated and everything else. Uh, there, there's you don't have to go back to the 70s. Um, there's kind of a middle ground that you can do, but certainly I'm kind of appreciating that, appreciating that a little bit more than most of the other things that are out there on TV right now. Yeah, but, you right. know, I, I'm also sitting in the garage and listening to classic rock, and you know, there's no good music that's been made since '94. You know, yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree <laughs> with you there that, for sure. Yeah, no, I, and I'm probably not that far <laughs> behind you, but uh, anyhow, it goes without saying, we're gonna miss you a ton. I'm gonna miss you. Um, certainly having these conversations every couple of weeks, it, it's, you know, about the most fun I have talking about wrestling, uh, especially with somebody who is as knowledgeable and whose opinion I, I respect uh, so much. So um, I touched on it in my column in, in the latest PWI. Uh, there is no replacing you uh, for sure. 22 years, I think that's pretty much the record, right? I mean, besides Stu, I think you've got uh, Bill Afterbeat and... and I, I don't even know who would be a uh, second place. So uh, 22 years of the magazine, it's really something else. You know, so I, well, I think Harry's still got me, but I mean, he had a little period where he left. So, 
but yeah, but you and Harry are right you're right there. So you'll 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 surpass me soon enough, I'm sure. sure. Yeah. Well, we'll miss you. Well, thank, uh, you thank you very much. Yeah, we'll miss you a ton. We'll certainly miss you on on this podcast. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, I, I know you're still involved in, in writing and things like that, and you won't mind coming back on uh, as a guest uh, down the line, uh, maybe talking about some projects that you've got going on. Absolutely, that'd be great. As as your last act here on the uh, the podcast, why don't you uh, throw us to your interview? All right, here's a young kid that you may have uh, heard about. Uh, I don't know, he's, he's not real famous yet, but he has a lot to say. His name is Chris Jericho. All right, Chris, thank you very much for joining me. Welcome to the PWI podcast. Um, as we get started, obviously the big news is, is you winning the, the AEW championship. But before we get to that, a couple other things have happened since All Out that have really kind of taken the internet by storm and kind of threatened to break the internet. Uh, I wanted to kind of touch on those in reverse order. Um, and I want to start with the bubbly. Um, how surprised were you when the little bit of the bubbly catchphrase that you came up with became such a huge meme on the internet? Um, you know, at this point in time, nothing really surprises me. You, know, you can try and force catchphrases or things just happen. It's the same thing that happened with the list a few years ago. Like, I never expected that. I think I'm, you know, obsession with wrestling fans. The one good thing about the bubbly is it's taking people's minds off the list. So now when I think people, they don't say, put me on the list. And they say, let's have a little bit of the bubbly. So, um, I mean, I, I just do my thing. I just do what I do. For whatever reason, um, it all started when, when somebody did a, a video edit for Mambo Number no. 5, which is one of probably my least favorite songs in rock and roll music history. But uh, it kind of was the start of a little bit of bubbly. Another song, a little bit of bubbly. So um, that was the first one I saw, and then I posted it, and everybody got the idea to just do their own version. So there's so many, there's got to be over 100 versions now. And all of them are fun in, in one way, shape, or form. My favorite thing is it just caused people to be creative, you know, rather than sitting on their phones looking into the abyss. They're actually doing stuff and creating and making art of their own. So um, the day, a couple of days after starting, I was probably getting 30 or 40 data. I still get three or four. People still uh, trying their own hat, trying their own hand to do these ridiculous edits. So it's, all, it's, it's really, really funny. A lot of them really made me laugh. And even though it weren't great, I still appreciated the effort. And once again, here you go with another uh, huge catchphrase on, on my hands that uh, I never never planned. I'd love to be able to say that I'm a genius and I knew exactly what I was doing, but I just say things and people go with it. So that's, that's, all, you can, that's all you can hope for. But by the same token, you've, you've evolved so much through the years and just reinvented yourself time and time and time again uh, from your comeback in WWE when you didn't say anything. And I mean, there's been variations. You mentioned the list, obviously. How much of that is something that you really kind of consider ahead of time of how you're going to change yourself? Or is it just a reflection of where you are as a performer that kind of carries itself out and comes out of you that you're in a different place now and than you were four or five years ago and different phrases, different traits come out of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting to me, like, when, um, you know, like, Robert Flyer, they say, why would you sing with Zeppelin? Why would you go back to Zeppelin? It's just like, I just don't want to. I'm just not that guy anymore. And it makes people mad. And, and I understand where he's coming from because I'm the same way. Like, I enjoy coming up with these things and pushing myself and constantly trying to reinvent and reestablish and trying to just... It would still be easy to just still be working, you know, the the, the conventions doing, you know, the YSL, 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 the YSL
YTJ is a lot of fun, but that was such a long time ago. It's a completely different, you know, kind of incar- uh, incarnation of, of who I am now. Um, I also think, too, that, you know, when you're talking about these these greatest hits, so to speak, you still don't want to ignore them, but it's important to, to create new ones or at least try. So um, it, it's one of those things that when I was thinking about going back to, AE, uh, to WWE or AEW, I was like, if I go back to WWE, it'd be awesome. I know what to expect, but the first thing I want to do is put people on the list, and I don't feel that anymore. I think the list was, was a, an amazing uh, phenomenon for the moment of time. But, you know, I, I couldn't be that guy anymore. That the stars are saying it just would feel like, okay, now I'm just going to the motions, and I don't want to do that. So part of the reason why I'm still working at the highest levels and native-hinting pay-per-views all around the world, even after 29 years of being in business, is because I, I'm not afraid to kind of purge my past, still show respect to it, and constantly try to create and invent new ways of staying relevant and keeping my act fresh, so to speak. Okay. Now, another thing that happened since AEW is, uh, you know, you made headlines and the police blotter with what happened with the title belt uh, going missing. Um, really, in your own words, what, what really happened with that? Um, I mean, I... It would literally take me an hour to explain it all. Uh, just let me say, it's a very strange story. It's one of those things where it's almost like the whole town was in on it. And um, it's just really weird. I mean, one of these days I'll do a podcast about the whole thing and explain it all. But it's almost like uh, if, I, if I explain the story to you and when I do, you're going to go, no way, it's impossible. Um, I didn't lose the belt. Uh, I didn't do anything negligent with the belt. I've been doing this for 29 years and I've had 50 titles around the world. And even Dregs and slums of Mexico. I never even misplaced the belt or had it stolen or taken away for, for, for three seconds. Um, very weird, and I still don't know exactly how to tell you what happened. You know, the, 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 I found it funny when, when the police department posted a picture of them with the title after they quote unquote found it, and then of course the media a few hours later they didn't find anything. A guy turned it in and found it on the side of the road. Meanwhile, a side of the road on a road that we were never on. When, um, when, when we were in the, the, the limousine ride. So it was just a very strange set of circumstances. Bottom line is we got it back and, you know, uh, learned from this man years ago, take a negative and turn to a positive. And suddenly, you know, Chris Jericho was the number one talked about performer in the business again. Uh, and then a day later, probably becomes a thing. And once again, you know, the most talked about performing the business for another reason again. So um, that's what you do. And you just got to go with the flow. And when something like that happens, you, you got to deal with it. you got to be smart, and you have to spin it in a way to get the maximum focus out of it, the maximum buzz out of it. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, and in some ways it actually kind of adds to the mystique of the title. I mean, it's almost like the stories that you hear about the Stanley Cup, you know, uh, and being left on the side of the road or being yeah. broken. Uh, so it actually kind of added a little bit more intrigue to, the, to you know, the, the championship in a way. Well, I mean, it's like I said about one problem and the fact that somebody stole it literally 24 hours after I got it. You know, this is more valuable than the Ark of the Covenant and Marcellus Wallace's briefcase. I mean, you know, what, what, what other way can you spin it? I mean, and, and like I said, not to start, I'll take up your whole half hour, you know, telling the story, but you're talking about I was on a private plane. This is not an airport where I was in baggage train. It's a private plane from Chicago to Tampa. The hurricane forced us to land in Tallahassee. And I didn't feel like waiting for four hours. I said, let's just get a limo and drive home. And in the course of the next half hour, this whole strange 
set of circumstances unfolded to where was it the limo driver? Was it people at the air terminal? Was it somebody involved with the limo company? Uh, I don't know, and no one's really given me any answers for it. But finally, he got it back, and the rest uh, becomes legendary. Okay, so let's go back to the in-ring stuff here. Now, you're the AEW champion, so here you are as the, the, the standard bearer for the new company. Uh, what are you really looking to achieve, uh, both for the company, for AEW, but you as a, as a wrestler at this stage of your career, what are your immediate goals? Well, I mean, I think it's a smart move to have me be kind of the flag bearer as we go on to national TV because, once again, we're, we're huge wrestling fans. And we're in the business, so we're in the bubble of, like, everybody in the world knows Kenny Omega is, right? Well, I disagree, and so he, you got a whole national television audience that's never seen this guy before. Or if you get a look for, you know, MJF or Adam Page or whoever you want to talk about, the one guy that all going to know if they're wrestling there. So when you're talking about a new company, the first thing they say, well, who's there? Well, Chris Jericho, oh, wow, who else? Well, this guy, this guy, I never heard of them, but I heard of that guy. And after two or three weeks of TV, all those guys I mentioned will be the biggest stars in the company because people will be like, who the hell are these guys? This is incredible. I've never seen anything like this before. Where do they come from? Um, but when you're first starting and people are switching through the channels, literally they're able to want somebody that they are familiar with and know their history and, and know who they are. So I think my biggest goal is just to be more of a bridge in getting people to come check out AEW who haven't heard the company or haven't been watching wrestling for a while. Um, you know, there's a lot of wrestling fans that just kind of disappeared when, when, when the Monday Night Wars ended. So um, it's my mission to kind of, like I said, it's, it's to let people know that if you want to check out AEW uh, and you want to follow them there, trust me, because they never do anything motivated by money or motivated by anything other than creative fulfillment and continuing to keep everybody that appreciates my work uh, excited and, and keep them on the edge of their seat. And that's probably exactly what we're doing with AEW. Okay, and if you could just assess some of the top title contenders, I'll just run down just a few of them here uh, kind of quickly. Uh, how do you think that you match up, and, and how do you think the matchup looks on a marquee of, say, your top contender now, you against Cody? Uh, matchup against who? Uh, against Cody. Well, I mean, obviously, I think that's a great you know, kind of first big match to promote because Cody is kind of the, the, the second, I guess, biggest mainstream name plus a different guy than what he was in the past you know this is not the same cody that was there before in in whatever they're called the legends or whatever the hell that group was talking about and, um, i think that you know it's one of those those uh matchups that people will be excited about especially when they get to see how much he's grown over the last you know, five or six or seven or ten years since he left the WWE. So, um, it, it, I think it's the smallest move and the biggest marquee match that we have for, for a mainstream television audience this year. And now Kenny Omega, you had the rivalry with Kenny Omega in New Japan. Uh, do, you, do you look forward to kind of writing a new chapter in that, or do you think that right now it's more of, hey, well, let's start a new story in AEW and, you know, that that's already done, or do you think that there's a lot more to do with uh, with Kenny? I think Kenny's uh, you know, got the chance to be the top guy in AEW. We just have to build him, and, and he has to you know, adapt. It's, it's a different thing when you're doing a whole national television uh, program. So I think Kenny has the potential uh, as a performer, as a personality. He's, he's got a very unique brand of charisma 
which is what you need to, to, to resonate with people. And um, once again, we're, we're making all these predictions and doing all of this, you know, pontification, and we haven't even had, you know, an hour of TV yet. So all of that's going to change because people are going to like who they like, and they're going to dislike who they dislike. And right now, we don't really know what that may be, but we've got a, a locker room filled with uh, uh, professionals, both um, proven draws, potential huge draws, and all of them are very, very talented. So I, I love working with Kenny. I, you know, I thought the match for the Tokyo Bowl was amazing. I thought the match for in Las Vegas was amazing. And I think, you know, I, I'm not involved in the booking meetings per se, but the end game to me would always be a collision course, Jericho versus Omega part three for the title at some point. Nice. Now, you mentioned the locker room. With with AEW going on national TV and NXT now moving to uh, national TV as well, uh, but even prior to that, there's been talk of kind of a promotional war, WWE versus AEW. Uh, how much of the locker room do you feel is motivated by the idea of a promotional war that is really looking at, like, all right, let's gear up and fight WWE here? Or, or will you think that the, the feel of the locker room is more like, hey, let's just kind of get AEW up and running and do the best we can? Is that promotional war something that's a motivation? or is that something that's not really talked about within the company? It's not a motivation for me. Um, because if you look, there was no promotional world when we started. I mean, I knew there would be, but it's not, you know, it, it, started by, it was started by us when we came into existence. And we know what we're dealing with as far as, you know, WWE doesn't like to play well with others. And they've had the monopoly on this business for so long. And when you have a company that comes in with more money than them, a better television deal, and stars that are hungrier with more potential to get over huge, of course they're going to be mad about it. And so the fact that Chris Jericho, quote unquote, you know, defects over there, um, I'm sure that they have a real vendetta against us, and that's fine. Uh, it's good to have competition. If you're running a race and nobody's behind you, you're going to slow down a bit. Which is who cares? If there's someone nipping at your heels, you better fucking pick up the slack and, and run a little bit faster. That's kind of what happened with them. So it's a war to them. Uh, it's not to me. And once again, it's a reactionary move. And I know that all the, all the pundits are saying, well, I'm going to for Wednesday nights for, for years. And the network and this this. This move was just a matter of time. But no way. It never would have happened. Uh, a rush job of putting it on before we start. Uh, that's specifically because of us. So once again, NXT guys, you're welcome. We're now on national TV, uh, specifically because of me and AEW. And that's good for them. It's good for everybody. But it's not a war. And if it was a war, we don't compete against the, the minor leagues. We compete against Raw. That's who I'm competing against. No matter if they're on a Wednesday night or if they're on a Monday night or whatever it is, we're competing for the fans' attention. We're competing for the fans' passion. And, you know, quite frankly, we're competing for their money as well. So uh, the only chance we have to really make it is to do something uh, completely different from WWE, which is what we do. And I remember from being in the Money Wars back in, in, in the 90s, WCW started losing their grip when they were more concerned about what WWE was doing than what they were doing. We're not concerned about what WWE is doing. You can do whatever you want. You can charge a program or you can put on the reunion of the Beatles against us. You can put on the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, all great events, but it's not going to affect how we run our show or what we do. Um, either it's going to work, it's going to be huge, or else it's going to be a learning process where we have to figure it out you know, each week. I know what it's like to be on TV every week live. Uh, Cody knows, Moxley knows, Dean Malenko knows, Dustin Rhodes knows. Other than that, 
no one else really in our company does. So they're all going to have to figure it out and find out how to, how to benefit from that like how the rest of us have. And they will. Okay. You mentioned WCW briefly there, and I had a question here. WCW, towards the tail end, well, for the last two years, really, uh, was doing the counter-programming that you talked about, trying to go up against WWE. Is there anything other than not trying to do that, not trying to kind of be reactive like WCW was, any other lessons that AEW can learn from watching WCW's kind of rise and fall as it goes and, and kind of indirectly or directly challenges WWE? Is there anything that you think being that you were there at that time, that AEW can kind of learn from WCW. Um, I, I don't think. I mean, I think. What are you going to learn from from the company that eventually lost? You know, I mean, I mean it, it, it existed and it is what it is, and it was it was hugely exciting, and then kind of found the trap that most wrestling companies do, and that they don't want to build up younger guys, and that doesn't mean. You know, having to win every match, but you have to start showing that there's a whole new generation of performers that, that are cool and exciting, and you can mix them with the events. Don't necessarily do that, but I think everybody knows that at this point. And it's not a revelation to say we can't. It's still going to happen with Carlos Mendez's company in New Mexico, the WWE. Yeah, coming for 40 years, but they refused to replace, you know, Connect and and, and all those type of guys uh, that were on top for the longest time. So they just ended up going out of business. And I think you have to, you know, a, a great wrestling roster is like a great sports team. You've got your veterans, you've got your, your, your blue chip guys that are that are scoring the, all the points, and then you got your rookies that are up and coming. And if you have that the perfect mix of those three, uh, you'll have a great, great team. And if you have too many, you just one and find up front of another. You might not do as well. I think we have that. You know, we don't have a roster full of guys my age. Don't do we want that? I mean, there's only one Chris Jericho, and, and like me or not, my track record over the last three years has been some of the best work of my career. Now, combine that with Kenny Omega, who's just beginning to get into his prime. MGF is not even close. Hangman Page is not even close. Sammy Kamara is not even close. You know, you, the Bucks who are just starting to, to really feel it. Uh, Cody Rhodes, who's now is, is a billion times better than he ever was, to his confidence, which is what you need to make it in this business. I mean, combine all those things, and suddenly you've got a pretty, pretty great roster, um, and all of us doing things our own way. This is not a roster filled with, with better be cast-offs. These are guys that legitimately um, made the decision to not go to WWE. All of them were offered. All of them had a chance, and they all said, thanks, but, but no. Why would they do that? Because they didn't want to do things the way that the system is there. It's a great system. I worked there for 20 years. Believe me, I know the system like the back of my hand. But I also understand that there's a lot of extra freedoms and creativity that we have here in AEW. Some of that freedom and creativity is going to hang the guys. And some of the freedom and creativity is going to make these guys way bigger stars way quicker if they know how to harness it. And the perfect example is MJF. I mean, I, I, people are telling me how great of a promo is. And he's great. Yes. I wanted to see just how great he was. I had him on talk to Jericho in character for an hour. And he was phenomenal. He knows what he's doing. If he goes to another company and they give him a, a piece of paper with words on it and say, here's your promo, it's not going to be as good. I don't care who you are. So we're not doing that. And for, by hook or by crook, we don't have writers. Uh, same with that WWE didn't have writers uh, when they were at their peak in the 80s. Same with that WCW didn't have writers in the 90s when I was there. You have bookers, you have guys that put together matches and angles, but there's no writers to give you promos and tell you what to say. That's up to you to figure it out for yourself. Some guys will, some guys won't. 
and the guys like you are going to become huge stars. Okay. Now, you mentioned they're being part of WWE for 20 years and knowing that system and being so entrenched in that system. When you made the decision to jump at AEW, I mean, money notwithstanding, contracts, anything like that notwithstanding, the idea being you had that comfort zone with WWE for so long. Obviously, you had gone to, to New Japan, but was there fear of signing up with the opposition? Like, oh, my God, are they going to bury me now? Is this going to affect my legacy? Will I be in the Hall of Fame? Were those things that were in your mind, or was it a matter of, you know, you've done everything you need to do, and this is just a new chapter? Here's a newsflash. I don't care. I come to the Hall of Fame. And I'm not saying that from any standpoint of, it seems strange to me. I, I don't understand the concept of what the Hall of Fame is. Everyone gets their one night to put on a tuxedo and, and talk about themselves, and that's great and all that sort of stuff. But you, you, can't, you can't erase Chris Jericho from WWE, and I don't think they want to. And if somehow they did, and I became public enemy number one, it doesn't matter. My legacy's not going anywhere. Maybe 20 years ago, like, when a thing happened with you could do that. But all you got to do is go on YouTube or go read any website and see what Chris Jarek has done. So, you know, and I didn't do this as a maverick, you know, going to stick it to WWE. I talked to Vince quite extensively about it. And he, not that he had the final decision, but he had some insults. He said, take the deal. I don't think he thought that I was telling the truth. I think he might have thought I was bluffing a bit. I maybe knew that he was willing to part with Chris Jericho, and, and that was fine. Um, the concept of what AEW was seemed very exciting to me. Uh, I still consider myself to be a WWE guy, though, and still told him this is what's going on. Just like I told him when I went to New Japan, I had a blast. I had a great time there. I still do. So um, all of these these um, events that led to me coming to, to WWE was not a secret. I was very transparent all the people I had to be transparent to and the decision was made between myself and my wife and, and, and Vince and Tony Khan and everybody else that was kind of involved in that conversation uh, that AEW seems like the best place to go. The biggest reason for that is because it's, it's uncharted waters. We don't know what to expect. Like I said, I know what to expect when I go back to WWE. It's going to be great. They're going to make $2 billion whether I'm in a main event or looking match and I'm the list guy and I can have a great career doing that. I've never thought about that in my career. I've never thought about the easy way out. If I did, I never would have got into this in the first place. I never would have got into Fozzie and taken it to where we are, to where we're playing a stadium show with Iron Maiden this weekend. I don't take the easy way out ever. The challenge means everything to me. And the fact that we now have, for the first time ever in our lifetimes, um, I'm assuming you're not 70 years old, where you have a legit major wrestling company that you can watch grow from the start on national TV and in arenas. Because when the WWE started, that was in the 30s or 40s. When NWA started, that changed into WWE, that was in the 20s. New Japan Pro Wrestling, that was in the 50s. So tell me a major wrestling company that started. I mean, you can say ECW, but they never got major. This is a major company that right off the bat, sold 10,000 tickets in five minutes. So um, I think a lot of fans are intrigued about it. They're excited by it. They like the concept that they can kind of grow up with AEW. And whether we, we rise or fail or, or, or zig or zag, the fans can see that coming. And it was the same thing. I always compare it to, like, Metallica, biggest band in the world, right? I was there when they started. I remember buying Ride the Lightning when I was 13 years old. Yeah. Um, Kill Moon came out the year before. But I've grown up with this band. Every single stage of my life is related to Metallica's life. That's why they're my band. I love the Beatles, but I wasn't there when the Beatles grew. 
know, so I think AEW is kind of like a Metallica list for me, where you can see this company grow and build and make mistakes and make inroads and get bigger and, and do things that are great, things that should maybe aren't so great, but they're yours. You belong to it. You, you connect with it. And no wrestling company in our lifetime has ever had that option before. And we have it. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's such an old fan base for AEW, but why not AEW fans? Um, and, and once again, we're going to find all of this stuff out in, uh, you know, in, in a couple of weeks. Okay, great. And one more question for you here, um, and I think I know who you're going to go with on this, but other than yourself, and because you're, you're closer to the end of your career than the beginning, you know, I think that's safe to say, right. and, and there are other guys yep. like Cody and Dustin, if you had to pick a flag bearer for AEW going forward, who would you go with? Uh, who would you kind of give the blessing to and say, that's the guy who can carry this company? Or guys? It's hard to it's hard to say. Um, I can tell you so my thoughts. I think uh, I think Cody obviously he, he he understands how to carry yourself as a, as a star, and that's why a lot of people think he's the boss. He's not the boss, but he carries himself and acts like he is. I think a lot of people even get mad at him for that. But that's a that's a, that's a very powerful persona to have, and it works. Um, I think Kenny from a pure talent standpoint and also from his quirky personality, he has potential to really be a breakthrough star. Um, I, I mentioned MJF. MJF isn't ready to carry the company, although he'll tell you that he is, but he, all the tools are there. Um, I haven't really seen too many of his matches. Maybe that's something that could be worked on a bit, but as far as just the way he looks, the way he acts, the, the talking that he has, he's a guy that, that, that can really be a flag bearer for this company. But it's going to take a couple of years, but not long, not long at all. Um, and those are just guys off the top of my head. I can go a little bit deeper, delve into a little bit more. Those guys right there. Oh, Hangman. I think Hangman, my biggest knock on him was, was his promos, and he sure did some great promos during the match with us. So he just needs a little bit more time, a little bit more, more familiarity, and a couple more great matches and angles that he'll be ready to go too. So that's a great crop of guys to start out with um, that can actually lead this company as legit world champions. All right, Chris, thank you very much.